0: by faithfulness. How many believe God is faithful? Amen? Let's stand this morning. Psalms 39. Psalms 39. If you turn there, please share your Bible with someone who doesn't have their Bible with them, or maybe they don't have an Old Testament, or maybe they don't have the King James Version translation. That'll be a blessing. We're gonna be in Psalms 39 this morning. Again, if you're a visitor or guest, welcome to Heritage Baptist Church. We're honored that you're here. And hope that you received a visitor's packet on the way in. Please, if you did not get a chance, fill out your connection card and if you'll turn that into one of our greeters. That'll help us have a record of your visit. And I just want to encourage you as a church, we got a lot of things coming up. We are going into our 20th anniversary next year, in the month of January, and it's exciting. 20 years old is, uh, we're still young, we're still babies. Amen? Say amen. We're still babies, okay? And uh, we're excited about what the Lord's going to do. And uh, we're going to be casting a lot of vision for the next uh, several weeks here about the coming years. And uh, we're praying that that week will be a blessing. January 27th, we're going to actually spread it out over two Sundays. January 20th, Dr. David Gibbs is coming to town to preach for us. And Dr. Gibbs is a good friend of our church. He's the founder of the Christian Law Association. but Probably one of the godliest Christian men you'll ever meet. Great preacher of the Word of God. And he'll be coming to be our special guest preacher on the 20th. On the 27th, we're going to have a banquet for our church to celebrate our 20 years. And there's a lot of things going on. This coming year, we're going to be uh, having uh, available the new CD that the choir has produced. We've, We've gone over it several times. It's great. You're going to love it. And we want you to get many copies of that. And we're going to be using that to get into a lot of homes and to make the context with a lot of people don't know about our church or people who are struggling. We want to get that in their hands. Just the songs that you heard this morning, the choir sung, uh, those will be on that CD and it'll be a blessing there. And we're trying to get that overseas to a lot of missions projects and things that are going on. And then we have uh, the My God Morning devotions that many of you follow. Uh, we're, we're, we put that in booklet form that will be available to the church next year. Just a lot of things like that we're doing and uh, praying over several writing ministry things that, that the Lord will help us to have to help our church grow. And we're just excited about the things God's going to do. And this has been a good year. A lot of additions to the church. And, and we're thankful you're part of the church. And, and we just want God to just work in your hearts. And, you know, more than anything else today, as, as we look at Psalms 39, I, I pray that you catch the same heart David had because we're transitioning right now. And we're passing from 2018 to 2019. And just like a, just like a, a, a runner's race where, where there's a relay, you want to make sure it's a successful passing of the baton. And this morning, we're looking at how, how, how God wants us to successfully get the baton passed from 2018 to 2019 and seeing God help bless everyone. It's a great year. And we've been praying for that. We're praying that every single person who comes to this church will have a fantastic spiritual life here in 2019. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble and it doesn't mean that trials won't come. In fact, we need to have trials because that's the only way we experience the grace of God. Amen? You know, that's the only way we can understand God's grace at work in our lives. But with those things, we need to trust God. I told somebody yesterday they had, a, they had kind of a difficult day. We'd call it a bad day. And I said, well, you better take a moment to thank God for that because I said he might make it badder. Amen? You know, So you better thank God for it if you don't want it to get badder. So we just pray that the Lord would just help each of us to appreciate the, the rain as well as the sunshine, right? The mornings as well as the evenings. And just trust God for His goodness. Psalms 39. Say amen if you're there. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred. My heart. Was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man. At his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. Wow. Talk about a passage that addresses the closing of one year and encourages us about the new year. David says something, verse 4, I pray that you not forget this morning. Lord, make me to know mine end. How am I going to finish? And then he said in verse 5, notice that was made my days as a handbreadth. You know what that means? Look up here. That's life. That's it. That's it. That's it. When I was in my twenties, I didn't tell you regard to this verse I'm going to tell you about. I'm in my early 60s, and he said, I was young and now I'm old. Help me identify that, amen? (laughs) I was young and now I'm old, okay? David said, Lord, make me to know mine end. This morning I want to speak to you about the question How will it end? How will it end? How will 2018 end? Hold it end. Father, bless your word this morning. I believe we're so cognizant that our life is like a handbreadth. Lord, this is a very wonderful church with very busy people, a commuter society. And for some of us here in this room 25 to 30% of their day is spent commuting. Another 40, 50% of their day is spent at their job or school. We've gotten through 2018, but how will it end? We're approaching 2019. How will it start? Father, would you bless your word this morning? Speak to our hearts. We thank you for the goodness of your word. May the entrance of your word give light, order our steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over us. We thank you this morning that the word of God makes wise the simple, and we feel very naive, very unsettled about how to navigate and chart our next course. And i reminded this morning, the Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And so today, Lord, we're committing this, uh, this service to you that you'd establish our thoughts I pray that we not procrastinate and delay and keep putting off. But Lord, even we realize today, today is the day we must make a decision for Christ. Bless this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What are the two last words after the end of every book? The end. The last two words of every novel the end when you get to a book maybe like war and peace which is like i don't know how many pages it is amen but it's so wonderful to get to the end amen when you get to the end and when you get to the end those last words mark the conclusion of the story and of the book there's nothing else to be said nothing else to be contributed when we come to the end regardless if we agree or disagree at the conclusion or how it unraveled, when we come to the end of the book, it's over. It's over. The end. The end of a year marks the completion of 365 days in a normal year, 366 in a leap year. When we come to the end of a year, that means whatever was done was done. Whatever was undone is still incomplete and will carry over to the next year if if you're allowed to do so. Whatever your achievements were, thank God this morning for whatever accomplishments and whatever achievements and whatever blessings you received. We need to take a moment to thank God. But you know what? It's like what happens with every sales organization. They clean off the board from the previous year and it starts all over the new year, right? Because they don't want, they're not worried about what you did last year. They want the new year to exceed the previous year. And we're coming to this place where 2018 is at the end. Things of the past and left undone will remain that way. What did we learn from the last year? How will we face the new year? How will we start? What will change and what will be different? David said in verse 4, Lord, it's a prayer. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is. Lord, what's left of my life? Lord, how will it end? Lord, what's going to happen? I mean, those are good questions. And it might be questions we have all over the room. Lord, how's it going to end? What's going to happen? Lord, what's going to happen next year? I'm a little trepidatious. To, to, I have trepidation about going forward. Lord, how's it going to end? Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. Tomorrow's December 31st, 2018. How will it end? Notice in Psalm 39, we see a psalm. We see a song. We see a supplication. I want you to notice some things about David as he asks this question, how will it end? Notice number one, we see David is hurting. David is hurting. This this psalm was most likely written during the time of the Absalom revolt. Absalom was one of the sons of David. Absalom was a good looking boy. But Absalom had one problem. He was very proud. And being very proud, he thought of himself, bigger than life. And Absalom led a revolt over a period of time. Over many years, he sat in the way of the gate, the Bible says. And the gate was a place where matters were, were, were evaluated and judged. And he kind of just assumed that role because he was the prince. He was the king's son. And over time, he built a conspiracy to get people's hearts towards him. He, the Bible describes it this way. He stole the hearts of the people. And before David knew it, the, an insurrection and sedition had occurred in his, in his, in his country, and David had to run. The likelihood is Psalms 39 was written during the early years of David's uh, departure from the kingdom, and Absalom had come to rule. David was hurting. Notice in verse 12, he says some things. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner as all my fathers were." Notice in verse 12, David is talking about the unexpected setbacks. There were setbacks. David could not anticipate and plan for. They were unexpected. He describes these setbacks in verse 12. He says, he talks about his cry. And he says, hear my prayer, give ear to my cry. Hold not thy peace in my tears. The pressures from these setbacks brought him to tears. And you got to understand, David was not a mouse of a man. You're talking about the man who was probably the most courageous man in all of Israel. He was the only man at 17 years of age, 16 years of age, that took on the giant Goliath. A man 9 feet, 9, uh, nine, feet, nine inches tall. He was, the, he was the voice of the Philistine nation. And he took, he took Goliath down with just one sling and a stone. You're talking about a man who stepped up to the challenge of, of providing a dowry to buy his, to, for his wife and killed 200 Philistines along the way and brought back Evidence of that. You're talking about a man who in conflict after conflict after conflict was victorious as far as all the nations of the world were concerned. They feared David. The Philistines feared him. The Amorites feared him. The Amalekites feared him. The Syrians feared him. The Ethiopians feared him. Everybody feared him. David was at this place. So as we get to verse 12, he talks about his cry. He talks about his tears. Notice he talks about his wanderings. He says, I am a stranger and a sojourner. A sojourner means it's like a pill Pilgrim. Somebody's wandering from place to place. They can't get their roots settled anywhere. They're not settled somewhere. He felt like a stranger. His own country did not recognize him. The Jews had turned away from him. And he only had those faithful few that stayed with him. David was hurting greatly because of unexpected setbacks. You know, when you have an unexpected setback, it's just something that happens. That just throws your world in a tailspin. It could be a diagnosis of an illness. It could be a major car breakdown. And the car breaks down and you don't have the money to pay for it. Amen. And the car breaks down and you like to buy a new car. But that's just out of sight. It could be you falling behind on your bills. It could be that you started 2018 with the idea that it would be a great job year, a great employment year but things happen you couldn't plan for and now you've got a setback. You have a financial setback, a career setback things happen, you had a maybe someone played politics on you and things happen, these things happen they're unexpected setbacks. One of our members, bless their heart, contacted my wife and I just the other day, just this week and they have a brother overseas, a younger brother who passed away unexpectedly his other brother came to the home to check on him and at the 42 years of age this dear young man, who just everyone loved and was just a very sweet
1: person. They found him unconscious and unresponsive. I mean, what do you do? These unexpected setbacks that happen. We have several church members right now going through deep health trials, going through trials that they just don't know day by day what's going to happen and how it's going to unfold. They're asking the same question. Lord, make me to know my name. You see, we have unexpected setbacks. Crises bring us to tears. Crises make us feel like we're lost. David was hurting. He was hurting from unexpected setbacks. But notice something else. We go down in verse chapter 39. David says something else in verse 8. Notice David was hurting not only from, from unexpected setbacks, but notice David was hurting for something that maybe you're hurting from this morning. He was hurting from unresolved sins. And notice in verse 8 he says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Now, David, David, when you think about his transgression, what's he talking about there? And then he goes on, notice something else in verse 11. In verse 8 he says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. Verse 11 he says, When thou with rebukes, dost correct man for
0: iniquity. Now, David's not, we're not really sure what these unresolved sins were. But God, David knew in his conscience there were some things that he was battling with, that he was losing it. He was not victorious. Now sometimes we'll look at David, and we can be, I'll be honest with you, we can be a little bit harsh and critical about David's sin that he committed with Bathsheba, and the murder of Uriah, her husband, and that was terrible, and that was heinous, and and we know by Jewish law, by Mosaic law, David should have been stoned for those deeds. By the mercies of God, God spared him, amen? But whatever David's sins were after that, we're not really sure. I have my, my conjecture about that. I have my, my, my thoughts about it, which I'm not going to share. But I, whatever it may be, I think here's a thought, even though it's not specifically related. Hey, I think this morning may, maybe some of us are hurting because of unresolved sins. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. He talked about weights and sins which easily beset us. And whatever those weights and sins are, I think David alluded to some of them in chapter 39 here. But they're sins that we know of that maybe just you think, oh, I didn't get victory again. Oh! I tried. Lord, I'm sorry I failed you. Oh, Lord, I, I, might be, you know, Lord what I should do better. It might, be, it might be the sin of prayerlessness. It might be the sin of not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It might be just inconsistency in our devotions. It, it, whatever it may be, it may be the sin of unkindness. You know, we, we kind of have a tendency to major on those public sins and those things that are out there, but how about the sins of the Spirit and things like that? All I'm saying this morning, David's referring to these transgressions and these iniquities. He's talking about the depravity of his mind and he's talking about having crossed a forbidden line. And listen, all I'm saying this morning is David was hurting. And sometimes we're hurting because of setbacks, and sometimes we're hurting because of sins. Whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit of God is our light and our teacher, and He brings to our mind those things we need to understand. And all I want to tell you this morning is that if you're hurting today, you're struggling with a setback, you're struggling with a sin. I want to remind you today, we have a God in heaven who hears your prayer, who hears your cry, who knows you're hurt, who knows you're here. And by the way, He's the God who heals, amen? Amen. he's the god who's there to heal our sins and help us through our setbacks and deal with those problems we see david is hurting but notice secondly in verses one to two we see david is holy you see david was at a place where you must you have to be thinking about whatever these setbacks are that he refers to in verse 12 whatever caused him to cry and he recognized he was a stranger and a sojourner. And he recognized he was crying. And he was praying in verse 13 for strength. And he thought, he thought that he wasn't going to make it there. Whatever it may be, you can imagine David, like a lot of us, was a setback or sins. That, you know, over time, as we read verses 1 and 2, David is bottling up inside with a lot of just tension. And he's bottling up inside with a lot of uh, concern. And a lot of anxiety, a lot of burden, perhaps frustration. And you notice something that's very interesting about David? David, unlike many of us who blurt out things we wish we didn't say, and like many of us who speak out of, out of turn, and many of us who need, maybe need God's help to teach us how to speak a little bit more carefully in our speech, and are not careful, we're a little bit blunt when we should be a little bit more careful, and we're a little bit more perhaps abrasive when we need to be a little bit more kinder, David says something very interesting in verses one and two. David's demonstrating an area of his life where he is demonstrating a walk of holiness to God. He was frustrated. He was under tension. He was hurting. He was having problems. He was outside of his kingdom. He was wandering around. He was like a—he's homeless, if you would, in that context. And wondering when do we get back to, to the kingdom? And David said this. He says, "I said I will take heed to my ways." That I sin not with my tongue, I will keep my mouth with a bridle. While the wicked is before me, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. I think many of us would agree that that uh, unlike David, a lot of times our mouth and our tongues can get us in a lot of trouble. I read the story of a of a young man that was a clerk. In a, in, a, in, a, in a grocery store, and of all things Brother Eugene, he was, he was a clerk in the produce department, all right? And he was, a produce, he was there in the produce department, and a lady came, a very ritzy looking lady came, and she said, young man, she says, I live all by myself. She says, I see all these heads of lettuce. Could you cut the lettuce, one-handled lettuce? Can you cut it in half and just sell me half a head of lettuce? Well, nobody had ever asked for something like that before, and the young man, who happened to be a little bit curt, and a little bit uh, smart mouth and things. He looked at this lady and he says, ma'am, he says, you know, that uh, you gotta be serious. He said, uh, these are grown in whole heads, and that's just how we sell them. And the lady was just a little bit taken back by his, his rudeness, and she said, Ma- young man, she says, I've shopped her all these years, and why won't you sell me half a head of lettuce? she was really persistent with him. So she said, so he said, Okay, I'll tell you what, let me go ask my manager about this. So he walks to the back. Where, where he thought the lady was not going to be present, he walked away to the back where there's these double doors. You go into the back room, and he, and he just got to those double doors, and the manager just was coming out, and the manager just came out. And he said, hey, I've got to ask you a question. Then he said, there's this, there's this lady back there, this kook of a lady back there, who doesn't have it all together, who's asking us to cut a head of lettuce in half and to sell it to her. Well, the, the manager's saying... Which meant the lady was right behind him. And so, so he said, this kook of a lady, this lady's got a half brain. And, and he looked behind and saw the lady there. And he says, and this lovely lady would like to buy the other half. <laughs> well, the manager, she, they, they, they cut the head of, lettuce, uh, head of lettuce in half. And so did that lady. And, of course, she didn't know really what was going on. She just thought, well, this nice lady would like to buy the other half. And she bought it. And so the manager was talking to the young man. They were still at the back there. And he says, hey, you know what? He said, that is the fastest thinking on one's feet I've ever heard of. He said, where'd you learn that from? He says, man, that that was really quick. I mean, that lady could have crucified you and you just turned it around really quick there. He said, you know, it's easy. He says, I'm from Grand Rapids. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that, uh, you know, just the people from Grand Rapids are known for those type of things. But the other thing is, he said, go up in Grand Rapids. You know that Grand Rapids is great and it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. The man turned flesh red. He says, I'd have you know, young man, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And the young man said, and what hockey team did she play for? Amen? Now, how many of us understand a lot of times our mouths can get us into trouble? Amen? When it comes out, unlike, unlike uh, other things that you can rewind, you can't rewind it. Amen? Once it comes out, it's, uh-oh, can't get it back. That's a problem. Look what David said. I said, I will take heed to my ways. I'm hurting. Unexpected setbacks. Unresolved sins. I said, I will take heed to my ways. Notice this next phrase. That I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Hey, long before James talked about that, in James chapter 3, David talked about that. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. While the wicked is before me. <laughs> Ephesians four thirty-one to thirty-two. Would you notice these verses? <laughs> Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with, from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. In James chapter three verse six, James said this: "And the tongue is a fire." a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire (coughs) the course of nature and it's set on fire of hell. David was hurting, but David was holy. In the midst of his hurt, all of his troubles, all of his anxieties and pressures, David said, I will not sin with my tongue. Let's think about it for just a minute, brother, sister in Christ. Complaining. A critical spirit. Cursing and swearing. Gossip and tail Slander and defamation. Harsh words said in retaliation or out of hatred. All of this Paul categorizes under two words. He's in Ephesians 431. It's evil speaking. With all malice there's the blasphemy of God and Christ, and David said, "I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with the bridle while the wicked is before me." I reminded this morning of a very great statement that Publius, the great philosopher, said. He said this, "I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence." And remind you this morning, we can get so easily caught up with our burdens and our hurt. We say things to people, we actually hurt people. We hurt one another in what we do. David said, I'm not going down that pathway. David said, yeah, I'm hurting. David said, yeah, I'm having trouble. But he said, I will take heed to my ways that I will sin not with my mouth. David is hurting. David is holy. Would you notice verse 3? David is hot. Have you ever kept something inside... And you bottled it up. In a moment of weakness, what we would say in here in California, someone touch your button wrong, someone push your button, and it came out like a volcano that's been dormant for a long period of time, but there's some rumblings, like what's happened in Indonesia recently, and boom, it comes out. But David didn't come out in verse 3 as we read this, verse 3 and 4. He didn't come out spewing out lava. And he didn't come out spewing bad language and things he regretted. He said, my heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Notice David was hot. He was burning within him. Something was going on inside of him that caused a fire. Now, I want to say this morning as we look at this, David has spent some time meditating. He said while I was musing. That means he was meditating. He was thinking long about some things. Some things settled in his heart and his mind. He said while I was musing, the fire burned. You know, it's better to be hot than it is to be cold. It is better to be hot than it is to be lukewarm. He said while I was musing, the fire burned. But David had a fire that's burning in him. Now, I want to say this morning, as we look back at 2018 at our hurts, and we look at 2018 and 19, the need to be holy, I remind you this morning as we look at 2019, the importance of being hot. We need to be Christians that are red hot for Jesus Christ. i reminded this morning of the king of Israel who said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. i remind reminded today that God loves those of us and loves us especially when we have a heart that's burning for God. I remind you this morning we must be burning in our hearts For the Scriptures and from the Scriptures. In Jeremiah 20 verse 9, Jeremiah said this... Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary and forbearing, and I could not stay. If you're familiar with that passage, or if you're not familiar, Jeremiah was God's prophet. God called him to be a preacher from the womb. I mean, he was, he was, it was in his mother's womb, and God had called him to be a preacher. And as he came to him, as you read Jeremiah, what a great chapter. He just tells him about his calling. And he says, don't be afraid of their faces. And he says, I will give you what to say. And he said, you're going to have to preach a very, a very hard message. And Jeremiah was the prophet to the, to, the, to the southern kingdom of Judah of telling them that judgment was coming, that God was raising up a great nation, which we know today as being the Babylonian nation. And God was raising up a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who would come down to be God's instrument and agent of justice awe and chastening upon Judah for their sins of idolatry. And so they did not repent. As you read Jeremiah 1 to 19, he's giving message after message after message. He says, you must repent. You must turn. You must burn those idols. He says, these idols have eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear and mouths that cannot speak and hands that cannot touch. These idols don't have any heart. These idols cannot do anything for you. You're living your life as if you're married to those idols. And God was telling them through Jeremiah, you need to repent so I can turn away my hand of chastening from you. But they did not. And so Jeremiah gave them one more message. And this time the message was very severe. He said, listen, God's going to send famine, and God's going to send pestilence, and some would be taken to captivity. And he said the city would be burned, and the temple would be burned. And he told them all these terrible things that would happen. And they got mad at him. And as he was giving this message, in Jeremiah chapter 20, a man by the name of Pashur got upset with, with, with Jeremiah. He didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. And he went up to Jeremiah, and in an indignant way, he slapped him across the face. He smacked him across the face. And he said, who do you think you are? And they said, they put him in shackles there. And Jeremiah now had hit a low point in his life. He, just like David, he was hurt. He said, God, why did you even call me to preach anyway? And God, why is it that I have to be the one to preach a negative message? And why do I have to bring the judgment? And God, I've told them what you've said. And they're not hearing me. And they're not listening. And they're not repenting. And God, their hearts are turned from me. And he says, God, why do I even want to be here? And he said something. You notice in verse 9. He said, I, I, he made a determination. He said, I will no longer, I will make no mention of him. Nor speak anymore in his name. You know what he's saying there? Here's my resignation, God. I quit the ministry. I quit quit preaching. I'll make no mention of him. Listen, you say preachers don't quit. Preachers do quit. You say preachers don't get discouraged. Preachers do get discouraged. You say preachers don't have problems like this. They do have problems like this. And David was at this place. He said, I will make no more mention of him. I will speak no more of his name. He said, I've had it. He says, the ministry the ministry does, is not worth it. It doesn't pay any dividends. He said, people don't love you. People don't appreciate you. People don't want you. They don't want the message. He said, I'll make no more mention of his name. And I can imagine Jeremiah, he probably threw his, threw his mantle on the floor and he took his handkerchief and threw it on the floor and he said God I want no more to do with this he's ready to quit and you get like that too when you get the place where things are just floating along and there's apathy in your heart indifference about the things of God and you floated along and you're tired of preaching that's Bible and you're tired of preaching that's strong and you're tired of preaching that says thus saith the Lord you say well I don't want to hear any more like that because I feel like he's preaching to me listen you ought to feel like God's preaching to you amen Because if he's not preaching to you, then there's something wrong with our heart. God is always preaching. There's always a relevant message from God from his word. You don't come to church like you're going to a buffet somewhere and think, well, today I'll get the salad, and tomorrow I'll get the the roast beef, tomorrow I'll get the turkey. No, listen, when you come to church, you get everything God gives to you. Amen? Amen? And so when he gives it to us, here's what happens here. We get discouraged. Why is he preaching to me? He's not preaching to you. It's all the counsel of God. The word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Amen. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. Amen. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments are the, are of the Lord are clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen, I tell you this morning, moreover are they to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I tell you this morning, as we look at the word of God, God spares nothing, He keeps nothing. Everything from God is medicine for the soul, Amen. It's the bomb of Gilead, as Jeremiah spoke of. It's a salve on a wound. It's the incision to cut out the cancer, amen? And the cancer's sin. And here's where Jeremiah's at. I quit, Lord. But notice verse 9. I said, I will make that Jeremiah 29. He said, but his word... But his word was in my heart. Is God's word in your heart? Amen. His word was in my heart. It's a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing. I could not stay. And I'm going to tell you this more. If you're truly saved and born again, when God's word is preached, when God's word is memorized, when God's word is studied, it's going to be in your heart like a burning fire. It's going to burn inside your bones. Listen, we need to have this morning a burning in our heart. Then notice Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scripture? And the one who was speaking was a person that by the name of Cleopas. Jesus had, res- had rolled away the stone and was coming out, had come out the tomb, but they did not recognize him. And as they were walking, two men were walking to the disciples, were walking down the road of Emmaus. They're walking down, they're discussing the previous 24 to 48 hours' activities and things. And they were most particularly, specifically talking about this, the news that Jesus wasn't in, in the tomb. And we don't have a report that those two men went there, but they heard about all these things that happened. And then Jesus came and he asked them to explain to them what they heard and so forth. And then when he revealed himself later on, they said that had to be him. They said, no wonder did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us in the way. And I'm just saying this morning, may God help us as we go into 2019. Don't treat the Word of God like another literary book. And don't treat the Word of God like your math book or like your textbook. And don't treat the Word of God like some book that's been on a shelf somewhere that's collecting dust. Make sure you realize that this is the Holy Bible. These are the Holy Scriptures of God. This is a God-inspired book. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We must remind ourselves that God's word is a more sure word of prophecy. We must remind ourselves that we must have the spirit like David said when he saw the sword of Goliath. He told the priest, I will take that. There's nothing else like it. And we need to have the opinion this morning and the conviction. There's nothing else like the word of God for your heart and mind. But listen, our hearts will be burning for the word of God. There ought to be messages that were preached all through this year. that ought to be burning in your heart. There ought to be devotions that you had while you were in your Bible at home. that ought to be burning in your heart. I'm just saying today, those two men walked along the way, and they knew there's something different about this man. And there ought to be something different. When you come to a Baptist church, and you hear the word preaching of God's Word, that the Word of God is open and relayed to you, and God speaks to your heart. Listen, it's good that there's burning heart. There's only one time heartburn is good, and that's when you come to church. Amen? Yeah. But secondly, we must burn in our heart for souls. My heart was hot within me. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Jude said, "And some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh." The lifeblood of every church, outside of the preaching of God's word, the lifeblood of every church is the winning of souls to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Now you need to get on board, church. So when he's not going away in this church, I said so when he's not going away in this church. So when he's the lifeblood of the church, you say, "Well, that's just just a movement." No, it's a mandate. It's a concern. No, it's a command. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. And listen, I'm talking to folks today. You used to be involved with sewing, but your heart's not hot about sewing anymore. You've got better things to do. You've got other substitutions, and that's fine before God. But I'm saying this morning, if you're going to have a great 2019, you need to get a fire in your soul. You need to determine. Well, don't come to. Well, I come to Saturday sewing, but there's some nut that gets up there and gives a challenge every week, and I just don't really want to hear the challenge, or I really want to stay in bed on Saturday mornings. And I want to. I understand all those things. I understand that. But listen, there's six days during the week you can still go sewing. You can invite people to church. And by the way, thank God this morning. I'm not, not not being angry with anybody or upset. I'm just saying this morning. This year has been a great so many years for Heritage Baptist Church. We have, we've, had, we've had our greatest attendance days and our special days. And we're praying next year be the same. We're starting to organize for Easter right now. A number of other things and some projects for next year. We're getting all set for those things. But I'm going to tell you this morning. If for this church to make a difference and impact for Jesus Christ, we must go out and win souls. The other day I got a message from my good friend, Dr. Ed Lorena, up in, in San Pedro, Laguna, Philippines. Dr. Lorena will be celebrating his 40th anniversary this coming, this coming January, February. And they're praying for 40,000 visitors to be in their church during the month of February. And, and uh, on one particular Sunday, he's trying to get out 10,000 first-time visitors there. And recently, they took a Sunday night service. And they just said, church, we're, we're going to... And he got them ready for this. He said, now this, he said, we're going to have a Sunday night. We're just going to have Sunday night soul winning. And they went out through Laguna. Over 1,400 people got saved on that, that evening. 1,400 people from several, hundred, several thousand people that went there and got a concern for the area, got the gospel out. They're bringing them in all the time. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. And I could tell you so many stories. I just got a note, a message, an audio message from our missionary to uh, Zambia, Brother David Barnhouse, one of our newest missionaries, and one of their men that he talked about, Fraser, that he's trained as a, as a, as a preacher and people getting saved. Our, and I'll show you pictures of this later on, but uh, another one is our, our, in Hangzhou, China, where our missionary, Brother uh, Ted Meng, is at. And Brother Ted just left here, I think, was in November or so, and he landed there, and of course, the weather's changed there, and Hangzhou is a city of 10 million people there, and, and Ted, bless his heart, I've been prepping and prepping and prepping, working hard with him, and bless his heart, uh, during, he took advantage of the fact that the Christmas holidays were coming, and Shine, his wife, was kind of walking around the, around the streets there with her two little boys, and, and all the families were just kind of watching, and said, wow, you know, your two little boys are so well behaved, and, and uh, how, how do you do that, and, and she just kind of engaged in conversation, listen, over the Christmas holidays, he didn't know these people, six families came over his house for a bite to eat and to fellowship with them. He led one of the couples to Christ. The other four or five are interested in starting Bible study with him. Hey, something's going on in Hangzhou, China. Amen. I'm just saying today, there's a lot that we can do and be a part of. You can invite people. You can make an assist. Everyone here today should make a determination of every unsaved relative you have that's here in the Bay Area. You're going to take next year as an opportunity to introduce me and Mrs. Fong to them to try to get the gospel to them, to win them to Jesus Christ. I'm just saying today, you ought to have a great burning desire in your heart for souls. David said, while I was musing, the fire burned. When you think about people that are going to hell, you think about souls that need to be saved, we need to sound like David while I was musing, the fire burned. And I'm just saying today, what keeps us going, what keeps the doors open, what keeps the fire burning, is that we go after souls and win them for Jesus Christ. (laughs) David was hurting. David was holy. David was hot. Would you notice verses 4 and 5? Would you notice David was honest? What did he talk about? He said, then, verse 3, they spake I with my tongue. Now he did something we could all learn from. He didn't blurt out his criticisms. He didn't blurt out his opinions. You know what he did? He went and prayed to God. Because the next word is Lord. That means he went into his prayer closet and met with God. And David's being honest with one thing. Look at verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measures of my days. You know what he's honest about? He had time to think about his life. Because in the busyness of life, we can get so caught with doing things, doing things, doing things, going here, going there, doing this, doing that. And all the multitasking we do, we forget about one thing. How's it going to all end? And David asked a question. He said, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. David gives us wisdom about how to honestly approach life. Would you notice this? Notice first of all in verse four, David approach, helps us to understand the vulnerability of life. Lord, make me to know my end and to measure my days. What it is. And notice this last phrase. That I may know how frail I am. My wife and I, we're talking in November, then we went away for a few days with some of our family members for a few days just to kind of get re- recalibrated and catch up before the, the Christmas musical and all those things, and we've had a great December, I thank God for. And we're just talking, and of course it was good weather, and I was saying, you know, she said, boy, you, you've had a pretty good year, you didn't catch a cold or anything. I said, you know, I thank God for that, I just thank God for good health, you know, and then... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had to go see the doctor for something, and I think waiting in the doctor's room there with the air and heat going on all this stuff, there must have been stuff circulating in the air. How many understand do- hospitals and doctor's offices is a place you can get sick in, right? You don't get well in there. And I was sitting, I was laying down there because they had to do something for me. I was laying down there, and I, and I felt this heaviness in my throat, and I said, this doesn't feel good. And the next morning, which was a Wednesday morning, I woke up, I felt like I had a tennis ball in my throat. Ever have that before? I felt like I had a tennis ball in your throat? And so, you know, I went on these remedies and things to try to get rid of it and got rid of the sore throat, but I just had a runny nose and all that. Finally, I'm just kind of getting past it right now. I'm just at the tail end of this thing. But it reminded me just a couple weeks before that I thought it was pretty strong. I thought my immune system was pretty strong. I picked up a cold, and I wasn't that strong. And David said, Lord, help me to know how frail I am. You know, reality, we're all very weak. Amen. We're all very weak. We all have blind sides. <laughs> Make me to know my end. Now, I want you to understand something. As we look at verse 4, we're talking about the man who was king of Israel, the king of all the greatest nation on planet Earth at that time, the man who had riches beyond riches, the man who had the greatest army in the world. And he, he says to God, he says, I need to know, Lord, how frail I am. You know what David's doing there? He's humbling himself under the mighty hand of God. He's saying, God, I need to know how frail I am. He understood that he was weak and vulnerable. You know, a good place for us to be at is to realize how weak and vulnerable we are. Don, David understood the vulnerabilities of life, but notice something else. He understood the vanities of life. Look at something else he says here. He said in verse six, something, uh, verse five, behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth and my ages as nothing before thee. Then notice he makes this remarkable, profound statement. Verily, truly, Without, without controversy, every man, not some men, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Wow. Every man at his peak, at his apex, at his game, is altogether vanity. Every man. See, life is vain. It's empty. It's interesting. He uses, he uses this word breath, which is also the same word for vanity. He says in verse 6, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth heep, up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. Uh, he talked about it. Verse 11, he says, When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity, Selah. He talked about the vanity of life. He's saying how empty life can be. He's talking about how we can live our life in an endless state. Okay, look. Young people, you're on you're on this chase. You think you're invulnerable. You don't think you'll ever die. You don't think you can catch a disease and sickness. And you take high risk maneuvers and high risk chances. And you go on and do this and go on and do that. And you think nobody will catch you. Nobody will know. And some of us who are sitting on top of our game, we think we're on our own personal throne and we can get away with what we do. And David was at a place because he had been because of un, un, an unexpected setback. It caused him to think and meditate and and mull on his life. And he realized not only how vulnerable he was but how vain his life was he's thinking why am i accumulating all these riches and why was i doing all these things and why was I conquering all these kingdoms and why was I doing all that he said look at me now i don't even have a place to put my i don't have a pillow to put my head on i'm homeless right now and i've got we got no food here and we read later on in second samuel how god raised up some men some wonderful men to bring food and provision to david and beddings and things like that i mean david now was at the place instead of being a provider he had to be provided for and he realized at this place he had to rely on god trust him He." said, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Hey, you know, a good place for us to be is realizing whatever pride we have, we need to surrender it at the altar. We need to give it to God and say, Lord, forgive me for my pride and help me to realize without you, I can do nothing. And so David talks about his vulnerabilities. David talks about his vanity, but would you notice verse five, David talks about a life that is vanishing. Would you look at verse 5 again? Behold, thou hast made my days as a. That was made my days as a. A handbreath. That's a very visual idea of what our life is like. That was made my day as a. Look what he says here. My age is nothing before thee. Well, I'll have you know I'm 50 years old and I've been around the block. David said, my age is nothing before you. I'll have you know I'm 85 years old and young man, you don't know as much as me. But David said, my, my age is nothing before you. Our life is vanishing. Evaporating days. It's like a hand breath. The writer James said our life is like a vapor it's here one moment and gone the next. Life is short. Life is fragile. Life is only one time. Stephen Hawking is considered one of the great brilliant minds of science. Died at 76. Former president George Bush recently passed away at 94 founder of Marvel Comics, who built his fame, and much more beyond that, Stan Lee died at 95. <laughs> the famous singer, Aretha Franklin, recently passed away at 76. <laughs> the Food Channel guy by the name of Anthony Bourdain, died at 61. Life is short. Boast not thyself but tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring. How many understand 2018 went by really fast? Amen? It went by really fast. It's a sign of our busyness. But life goes by very fast too. Hebrews 920, 927 says, It is appointed unto men once to die. And after this is the judgment. David saw something about life. Make me to know my end. Lord, help me to know, what is my end? How will I finish? Where will I finish? How will I be remembered? What legacy am I leaving behind? Lord, my days are like a hand breath. Make me to know my end. 2018 was a just like a breath. It was here. It's gone. David's just being honest about life. I believe everybody here this morning, with no exception, I believe everybody in this room here today is honest. You want to be honest with people? You want people honest with you? But I want us to take a moment and go beyond the horizontal, and I want you to look at the vertical. Are we honest with God? Lord, make me to know my end. How will it all be done? How will it all finish? David was honest. Be honest today. You're going to meet your creator one day. Will you meet him saved or unsaved? Will he be your savior? Will he be your judge? As you finish this year, whatever this year was like, you're going to race the charts. We're going to start over. You're going to, you're going to languish from last year? Or are you going to go on victoriously for the next year the new year? Are you going to go on strong for Christ? Or what are you going to do? He said, "Lord, make me to know mine end and to measure my days." David was hurting. David was holy. David was hot. David was honest as we close. Would you notice David had hope. Look at verse 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. There's hope. Amen? There's hope. Living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's Christ in you, the hope of glory, as I shared at the Christmas musical. Listen, the hope that Jesus Christ gives is a person that's Jesus. The hope that Jesus Christ gives is a place. It's glory land, it's heaven. The hope that Jesus Christ gives is a possession, Christ in you. If you don't have Christ in you, you don't have hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope. You can't put hope in the government. The government's shut down. Amen? Can't put hope in the justice system. It's going to change. You change out the judges, it changes. You can't put hope in an economy. The economy's all upside down. But you can put your hope in the Lord. He's real. He's eternal hope. He's everlasting hope. He's living hope. He's the hope of glory. Listen, he gives you hope for your life. And I'm saying this morning, you don't have to end the year defeated and destroyed and wondering what's going to happen. You can start the new year knowing, hey, there's hope because I've got Jesus Christ. Quickly, as we close this morning, notice in his hope, David tells us some things about life and life's purpose. Number one, would you notice John ten ten? He gives us hope for fulfilling life. Hope for fulfilling life. Look at John ten ten. Please don't miss this. Please look at this. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Colon. Uh-huh. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. We see a contrast. We see a thief and we see Jesus. How many understand today? The devil's a thief. Right. He's got his hand in your back pocket. He's got your hand in your purse. He's got your hand. He's got your hand on your password. Right. He's a thief. The world is a thief. The flesh is a thief. The thief cometh. Listen, the motive of a thief, and it hasn't changed. He cometh for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do you understand something? It's not your—it's not just your intellectualism and your quest for more answers that's keeping you from getting saved. It's the devil that's keeping you from getting saved. Because his goal is to steal, destroy, and to kill. He doesn't want you to get saved to go to heaven. But God wants you to get saved to go to heaven. The thief. We barricade our homes, we put alarms up on our homes, we put bars up on our homes, we get these security devices, we get cameras all over the place, we do all these things secure. But listen today, I'm telling you this evening, this morning, no matter how secure you may think you are, the thief cometh to destroy, to kill, and to and to take from you. He comes to steal. The devil wants to steal your virginity, young people. The devil wants to steal your purity. The devil wants to steal your thoughts. The devil wants to steal your productivity. The devil wants to steal your prayer time. The devil wants to steal your Bible time. The devil wants to take you out of this church and put you in a church that's lesser in its motive as far as your membership. I'm saying today, God wants you to stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Jesus Christ gives us a fulfilling life. Because where the devil steals, look what Jesus gives i am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Hey, Jesus doesn't give you some cheap two-set thing. He gives you an abundant life. He gives you something that's overflowing. He gives you something that's satisfying. He gives you something that's enjoyable. He gives you something that's a blessing. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We have hope for a fulfilling life, but notice we have hope for a future life. In the same chapter, Jesus said this, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What's he talking about there? A future life? Amen. Now everybody needs to look in the future. Everybody needs to plan for the future. Amen? Amen. You don't plan for the future. Future's going to catch up with you. It's too late. You got to plan for the future. We plan for our health care. We plan for our retirement. We plan for our children's educations. We plan for an emergency fund, rainy days. We plan for, hey, how about planning for your soul? The opposite of eternal life is a limited life, a terminal life, a temporary life. Eternal life, it means forever and forever and forever. Where the two best words about heaven are no more. No more, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more cancer, amen, no more bills, no more strokes, no more heart attacks, praise God, no more lawyers, amen. No more thieves, no more fear, no more. But the greatest no more for you today is where Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we close this morning, there's hope in the Lord. Jesus opens arms to you to receive him as your Savior. Call upon the Lord to save you. Don't worry about what you don't know. You know enough to get saved. You know enough to enjoy this abundant life that Jesus speaks of. As we close today, remember David today. He said, how will it all end? We see a man who is hurting, a man who is holy, a man who is hot, a man who is honest. Lord, make me to know my end. And a man who had hope. And you can have hope today too. Our Father, today as we close in prayer, thank you for the congregation being so loving and kind and receiving. And as we end this year, we want to end it, Lord, with a strong emphasis on Lord, knowing that it can end well. And Lord, in these moments, we're going to give invitation. Just as David was listening to you and watching you help us to do the same. Now, your head's bowed and eyes closed. I'm talking to Christians now. Members and attendees of Heritage Baptist Church and visitors and guests, you're, you're welcome to join this. But I want to ask you a question. As 2018 ends tomorrow, how will it all end? David had unexpected setbacks. But David also had unresolved sins. David said, my heart was hot within me. While I was losing the fire burned. How many of God's people around the room would be humble like David and with a humble heart, say, preacher, pray for me this morning that I'd get back the fire. And preacher, pray for me this morning that I'd get a focus like David did. And preacher, pray for me this morning that I will be holy and right before God. That, Lord, God spoke to me about sins of speech and about my spirit. And God spoke to me today about letting the word of God burn in my heart. How many would raise their hand and say, Pastor, pray for me as we end this year? I want to have a 2019 year that's gonna be a great year for God. I want God to help me to reach forth those things you're before God bless you. Who else this morning, preacher, pray for me to have a great year that God you bless would use. Don't you want a great year for next year? Don't you want God to work in you? Then you can put your hands up. How many today, you know you need to get saved. Jesus died for all your sins. And when you accept him by faith, he forgives you of all your sins. Is there someone here today that say, Pastor, like Jeremiah, it's burning inside me. I've been thinking about it. I need to get saved. Pastor, pray for me this morning. I need to get saved. You'd raise your hand. Anyone today, you'd raise your hand. I need to get saved this morning. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved this morning. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Wait, just a moment. How about the end of the your well and say, God, I need to get saved. Now, Father, this morning, thank you, Lord, for this morning's service. We give the invitation. Help us to be responsive to you, to obey you and to follow you. We commit this service to you now in Jesus' name. Let's stand.